0: This is episode number 9 with David Chokroraharjo, business leadership coach and managing principal of Sovereign's Capital. Welcome to the Masters of Cashflow podcast. My name is Andrew Senduk, a former banker turned tech entrepreneur, and in each episode, I interview the movers and shakers of the venture capital and investment space in Southeast Asia with the only goal to help you discover how to raise more capital, build better companies and to give you a better understanding of the people behind the biggest funds in the region. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Now let's get started. All right beautiful people, welcome to another session with an exciting guest, uh, a friend who I've known uh, for almost 10 years, uh, David Chokro Raharjo, business leader, coach, communicator of ideas, multinational entrepreneur. And the fact that I'm most inspired by is that he's happily married and a dad of three kids. David, brother, how are you doing, man?
1: Really good, thank you for having me.
0: Uh, David, let's just jump into it because uh, there's a lot I think we can learn from your journey as an entrepreneur uh, moving into the investment space. And I wanted to start this discussion actually with the parable of uh, the chicken growth. Uh, There's been a lot of research that chickens nowadays are way, way bigger than they were 50 years ago. So when you look at mm. chickens, let's say and after 30 days, they're almost double the size as 50 years ago, which brings me to the, to the topic of unicorns, which bring me, brings me to the topic of, of scale, of size, and of how fast companies should grow. And I think from an investor perspective, you want chickens or companies to grow as fast as possible. But when you look at research and you look at, let's say examples of the U S where there's Jet.com or we work, which became unicorns within, you know, within one year, two years, and closer near our home in the region, grab taxi. It's a grab two plus years to become a unicorn. Um, what is your idea on scale and, you know, hyper growth and, and these valuations nowadays?
1: Yeah, I think, I think that the, the first thing that we get to realize is that, uh, Uh, it is a larger market today, right? I mean, like, you know, when we were kids, I am born in the 1980s, you know, um, uh, Medan, my hometown, there was only maybe about like, you know, 800,000, a million people. Today, I think like easily in the central city of Medan itself, like not even uh, to the uh, cities that are surrounding it. I think there's like a 3 million, 4 million, maybe more, you know? So, So by the market size itself, I think it's already so much more bigger. But what it also means is that, you know, with every decade, Uh, you know you're gonna raise uh, new people right new uh, players new competitors you know and then there's also going to be new ways of doing business uh, new technology that will be raised and so I think because of all of those things I think it is true there is going to be some companies it is the same uh, model even but then the size is going to be larger than usual but I think also we have to recognize that competition is there and then number three is that you know, especially in a much more a market, the idea about the niche market continues to be there. You take the market of the United States as an example. you know not every companies are unicorns, not all companies are uh, heading towards uh, you know uh, becoming uh, this uh, next uh, giant tech or anything yeah. like that. you know uh, you know if you go to America, you know uh, laundromat as an example, laundromat is an old business model, right? I mean like you know you put your clothes there, we wash it for you or, we open the station. You go there. You wash your own clothes. You know, you dry it and you bring it home. Uh, either either models is an old model and it is still a huge. It's just a, such a big um, uh, market in America, right? Mm. And and so it's not always true. It's not always true. But there is a lot of new cities. There's a lot of new suburbs, and therefore that you know uh, in the past maybe you open one one shop and you say like oh maybe you know maybe we're gonna have three shops, right? But now you know from one neighboring city to the other neighboring city, from one zip code to another zip code, there's just so many of it. So it's yeah. easier to see that chicken is actually much more bigger, right? Mm. You know, so I think like all these elements are the things that we got to pay attention at. Now, if we go back to Indonesia, I think like in our region, what we realize is that, like, you know, how many laundromat do you have in Indonesia? Mm. Like this open market is an open season. You know, you come in with your business skill, you come in with your managerial skill, with your selling skill, you know, all those kind of things. It's an open season. You can say that, okay, uh, me and my team, we are equipped to be the next unicorn. Me and my team, we are equipped to build, you know, maybe 10 years from now, we're going to be in Indonesia. Me and my team, okay, we're going to open this uh, laundromat, which is so maybe it's a kind of like conventional business, but then maybe you're going to open 50, 100 shops. You know, so it really depends on not on the, uh, how the market has grown. But I think it first, like, it first got to go back to the founders, you know, the superhero, and the super team and knowing this is what we're good at. And you know, what else can we do you know, in this particular market?
0: Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point, especially coming from you as, as a founder yourself, a multiple founder. I would love to hear your story going from you know in the US, studying, uh, starting your own business, and then actually venturing into the VC space. Could you tell a bit more about, uh, about how that went?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, you know, um, I'm born in 1980. So if you do the math correctly, you know, when I'm 18, 19, that's when Indonesia went through our first, my first economy crisis. Mm. And then at, the, at the time, even though I was still student, but I was also already um, maybe, I don't know, half an entrepreneur. You know, so I started a uh, Bengal. I started to do different things, but it was still doing it together with my parents. Mm. You know, so, but then by the time in 1999, 2000, when I went to the U.S., you know, uh, the uh, currency was still very difficult. It was still a very difficult time for a lot of Indonesians at that time, uh, and so you know, uh, we did one thing that we understand to do. We we understand trading. You know, so um, I saw that my friends will buy, uh, uh, you know, a can of Pepsi or Mountain Dew for a dollar and twenty-five cents. Mm. You know, and but if you go to BJ's, you find out that the price at that time is thirty-five cents. You know, so I made a deal with my friends. I said, look. What about you give me the money in advance, but I'll I'll sell it to you for 85 cents. You know, you don't have to go there. You don't have to uh, call the taxi. You don't have to carry it. I'll be the amigo for you, right? So I'll, I'll, I'll do all the heavy lifting. I'll send it to Europe. with a full uh, delivery service you know, and all those kind of things, you know. So, you know, what happened next is that it is my first unofficial exit because the big boys feel like being threatened by the presence of a college student, because now not only we sell the, uh, the soda, but we also sell hot pockets, we sell, you know, the, the frozen pizza, you know, all those type of things. And so the dean of finance said that, you know, like, look, uh, we're going to give you financial aid because at that time I cannot get financial aid. I, I, I did not fit the criteria, I didn't fit the bill. So they make a special clause so that I can get into it. I get scholarship, I got a little bit of financial aid, you know, those wow. sort of things. And It became my first unofficial, i say, for the next four years of my education because, uh, you know, myself or my parents, they don't need to pay the bill because the school is paying for the bill. So that became my first unofficial. It is wow. the first time that I think when I was in the U.S. that I realized that, you know, like, if I were to be born in that environment, I would have grown so much more uh, better, I think. And, and that's why I stayed there for about, like, 13 years because uh, it's built for entrepreneurs.
2: Mm. So when I
1: came back to Indonesia in 2010 for the first time, you know, uh, and actually lived in Jakarta for about three, six months at a time, I realized that that is what is not true in our country back then. Mm. There is, it, it's not easy being an entrepreneur. You know, uh, you be, become an entrepreneur, you either find the old school money, that, the old money that basically say go with the old way, you know, if I give you I know 500 million or one billion or something like that. I want to own 51% of the company. That it doesn't exist. I yeah. mean, in America, you don't need to do that, right? Um, you know, or you go to uh, banks, right? But there's no collateral, so they can't get funding. Then there is already, or uh, there was already private equity back then. But in the size, the ticket size investment is more towards the north of like 10 million, $50 yeah, million huge, dollars. Right? I mean, it's yeah. a startup. It's mm. startup. We we don't need that much money. We need like a hundred thousand. You know, 300000 dollars, mm. and so that's where I realized that the ecosystem uh, doesn't exist in America. So in two thousand and twelve, we started uh, Sovereigns Capital, but we didn't actually do uh, in Indonesia until two thousand and thirteen or so. You know, but then uh, you know, the, at that time when we we're doing it, that was our environment. You know, yeah. there was a a niche market, if you may, uh, but there is a growing uh, rise of entrepreneurs in Indonesia uh, for yeah. the tech startup. And that's how the story uh, begins. And of course, the rest of it, I think you can read it in our website yeah. and, and yeah. some media and some of our CEOs telling the story.
0: Yeah, that, that's awesome, man. Yeah, 2013, man. So actually when we met, because we met, I think in 13, or early 14, I think, that was actually still the, the start of Sovereign in Indonesia then, right?
1: Absolutely. We, mm-hmm. we started uh, doing, you know, a small... Uh, we we literally, literally finance the startup. Our first company is, uh, I mean, uh, you, I think you know it. Kevin in Taraga yeah. with uh, red Story. That's my first investment in Indonesia. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My first baby away. And yeah. uh, obviously, you know, not only we picked the right guy, but he's a brilliant guy. So he uh, he built a bread Story from literally from the small uh, in uh, an idea all the mm-hmm. way to where it is being part of the topopedia. Yeah, so, that's you know amazing. so. Um, Yeah, but at
0: that time, it was purely just for startup. And and let's go back to 2012-13. So uh, you were in the US until 2010, uh, meaning that uh, when you came back to Indonesia, let's say the first couple of years, there was no VC yet. I mean, the the idea was maybe there, but there was no, quote-unquote, dedicated LPs. There was no, quote-unquote, dedicated investment plan for Indonesia. Like, how did that go? Because eventually, if you want to start a fund, um, it comes down to having LPs, right? Who say like, okay, I'm gonna, yep. I'm gonna commit to you uh, x, x million dollars, and you can disperse it in the coming five years. So h- how did that transition go from just coming in Indonesia, 2010, having nothing, to 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 running your first checks?
1: Uh, so I think I think that uh, first of all, the founders of uh, Sovereigns Capital is not me. So I'm kind of like the second batch, if you may. You know, yeah. so the initial one is uh, Luke Roush together with uh, Henry Case and both still my partners at Sovereign Capital. Yeah. Uh, so they have the LPs initially in the US, uh, but then like o- obviously during that period of time, America was also prime for investment. I mean, like PCs is something that is uh, a normal everyday business, if you may, you know, in the Silicon Valley and all those other sort of things. But then uh, Luke and Henry has have a um, uh, had a different uh, vision. They wanted also to uh you know empower entrepreneurs overseas you know and they're not going to be the first americans trying to do that uh but uh, uh most uh people that i know of they have this vision oh we want to do it in africa we want to do it in, in, in uh, china indonesia this is back then right two thousand and ten. Mm-hmm. and but then like they're they are, they do not have the commitment they it, I, I, maybe that's the wrong word to use it. but for what it's worth you know like um they don't live in Indonesia. They, yeah, exactly. they they come here maybe every three months, you know, every six months or so. And but you you don't understand what's happening, you know, on the field, right? Yeah. Uh, whereas for me, when I first came in 2010, I came back to Indonesia for the middle class story, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, I came back. I have a couple of opportunities that I passed because the focus was, was on literally more in like. Poverty in like poor environments. That is not why I came back to Indonesia. Yeah. I don't feel like I'm equipped to do that. I'm also not interested in working to serve the upper echelon market, if you may. Yeah. You know, so it is the, for the middle class story that I was, um, my wife and I, we came back to Indonesia for. You know. So when, when I met Luke for the first time here in Karawachi, it was like a match made in heaven because they, I, I found a new friend. They truly have the heart to serve Indonesia. But mm. at the same time, he is openly saying that I know nothing about Indonesia. Yeah, I thought Indonesia, uh, you know, this is from back then, right? This was back, back, back then. The only mm. thing that they know about Indonesia is Bali. You know, in 1998, we have all this, uh, you know, uh, craziness happening in our country. You know, mm. so for an American that never lived in Indonesia, they, for them, it's like, I know nothing for Indonesia. Yeah. And yeah. then... For my point of view, you know, like, I think like uh, by the grace of uh, the man above, right? Um, I was born Indonesian, obviously, but my whole young adulthood is actually kind of like, uh, you know, being a New Yorker, you know, and Mm -hmm. then I came back to Indonesia. By then, at that point of time, I have been living in Jakarta for about two years plus, you know, so then I get to understand like the difference or the culture um, uh, uh, clash, if you may, between the Western Mm -hmm. thinking and the Eastern thinking between uh, an Indonesian, uh, uh, an American, and also uh, as an, uh, if, if you may, an expat that is actually back in Indonesia and all those other things. And th- I think those are like the, the, the recipe that they didn't plan it, I didn't plan it, which we will never be able to see it. But it, it takes that one faithful breakfast. Yeah. That one faithful breakfast. We talked to each other. We got each other hearts, We got how we look at it. And we said, hey, maybe we'll play more basketball. And while we play basketball, we get to know each other. So it took us about eight months. And after eight months, we decided that, you know, uh, let's do this uh, together. And that's how then Southern Capital have its presence in Southeast Asia. And then Luke, uh, at, uh, you know, uh, with his wife, Brooke, and the three kids, they actually all moved to Karawati and live as a neighbor. We're one football throwaway. Oh, uh, really? Home is like literally one football throwaway. away. yeah. yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, that's the time also that you started Inklings, right? I remember that one, the Inklings uh, gathering. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's awesome, yeah. man. Now, I think you mentioned something really, really powerful, right? Which also, when you look at the beginnings of Sovereign, it's relationship, which is the foundation of the Indonesia chapter. And let's call it that way. Yeah. Uh, but when you invest in entrepreneurs, and you also touched upon it briefly when we were talking about Bright Story and talking about Kevin, you need to have a quote-unquote gut feeling of a founder, right? Which requires a certain relationship because, oh, I'd love to to hear it, right? Especially in this time right now, where building that relationship, maybe there's not always a lot of time for an investor to build that relationship with entrepreneurs, to really get to know them, to really understand the founders. So most of your decision is also based on an Excel file or research. Mm. So how do you, especially in this pandemic season right now, how do you as an investor make sure that the quote-unquote bet that you're that you're that you're that you're doing right you're, you're 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 placing a bet on an entrepreneur with with lp's money with your limited partner's money how do you minimize that risk in this specific season where building relationship is is different
1: i think our our, our philosophy remains the same this is the fundamental of uh, how we do sovereign capital number one is that we want to bet on the right uh, well, this is a learning experience, right? In the beginning of my journey, I said, I want to bet on the right person, the right founder, yeah. you know, but quickly one year, three years in the business, I realized that it's not just the right founder, but also the right team, right? But yeah. it's all about people. And I think that the way we do it, as you're saying that, you know, um, we are not famous for being, uh, you know, we, we are patient fun, Like uh, we, we, I think like our average of closing a deal, the, the quickest it ever been, maybe it's like two months, three months. Yes, that would be like, you know, two weeks and then we close the deal, you know, mm. or we make an offer in two weeks. I think and I think the reason for that is that, you know, we like to have like internal joke. We say that, you know, if we hate the guy before we give him the money, we're going to kill him after we give him the money, you know? And so yeah. um, the reason why we say that is because like, you know, look, it's, it, it's going to be a long, it's kind of like semi long-term partnership, yeah. you know, means that I'm going to be with you for five years to 10 years. It's mm. almost like. Having a marriage on itself. Yeah. You know? So if I don't like you, you know, um, you know, like the the you know, it's not all gut, but it's it's about chemistry. And chemistry is this uh, warm, one fuzzy feel type of things. So, like, so whether 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 I think you're smart or I think you're an idiot, if I think you're an idiot and I give you a million dollars, I'm gonna literally kill you. You know, so I want somebody that I think that is intellectual. We talk yeah. about Kevin, uh, for example. Man, I just think duty is a start. I mean like He's so smart. Every time I talk to him, and every time we ask him a question, he'll be patient in listening to the potential investor talking to him, or even after we become his uh, partner. And right after that, he's gonna go something like this: like, well, let me show you like one page or two pages, and there you go. You got summary of all the numbers. You know, yeah. oh, it's beautiful. You yeah. know, and after I ask him for like three questions and three Excel sheets or three, uh, you know, uh, you know, pie charts or things like that. I'm like fully convinced that this is the guy I want to bet on. But other than that, right? You want to have a sense that he has a this balance of life. I don't want to be the reason for like, for example, his marriage falling apart because yeah, exactly. of getting money from me. You know all the sort things. So those things that we I do it differently. Like um, during a pre 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 pandemic, as an example, you know that I said, hey, let's have dinner together or let's have breakfast together. I bring my kids, I bring my wife. You know, yeah. uh, they also bring their spouse and they. Say, and as we get together. You know you're gonna get immediately a sense if you are not winning at home you're not gonna win in the office that's it man. you know winning at home is like this is like the closest people that are with you mm. Now, when you go to the office you're gonna be thinking about the interests and the needs of so many different people not just the people working for us but also their spouse their boyfriend girlfriend uh, children you know parents in-laws you know and all those sort of things so if if the CEO doesn't have this mindset of thinking in the more holistic way if you may Just thinking about like, this is the business, let's just get our job done. That is a recipe for disaster. I don't want to be part of that story. So that's the first one. Then the second one, of course, is the model. What is your business model? And what is your revenue model? And then finally, number three, I think in Indonesia is still true today, is it the valuation. You Mm. know, so, um, you know, like um, sometimes, I mean, like if I'm the CEO, when we are the CEO, of course we wanted to have the highest valuation. I respect that, I honor that. I want to work with people that have high ambitions, people that have big dreams, not those who I have to pump and say, like, let's think bigger, right? But at the same time, I want the people that are more realistic as well. You know, I need mm. to explain to them why I can't give the, the same valuation that you are looking for. And mm. here's the reason why, you know? And what I'm looking for is for people that are mature, people that actually say like, okay, I got you, Dave, you know, and understand the value that we at Solvents Capital can actually bring to your company. Not just because we have the money, because man, with the money, I mean, our first fund was only like uh, ten, eleven million dollars. I mean, like, mm. how much money can you have? I mean, like, yeah. we don't have, we don't have a lot of money, but we are dedicated investors. We'll be actively, uh, in a minor way, but in you know, actively, strategically, we want to be involved in your decision making. We want to give you what we got, whether that be our knowledge, whether that be our expertise, our network, you know, things that we can give. And so we say that. Do you understand the value that we are bringing to your company? If you do, then the value is got to, you know, shift just a little bit and stuff like that. You know, so I think that is our principles. Uh, it is also sometimes become our challenge. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, if we look back, um, I think at the investors sometimes we feel like did we just miss out on that opportunity, you know, but that's, I think, business. Whether you are yeah. startup entrepreneurs or you are uh, investors like us, uh, sometimes you you will have those type of things. There is a pick and give, but that's the price of keeping your principles. But those are our principles. So profit, not profit, that continues to be the way we do it.
0: can be the same thing, right? And, and practically speaking, like nowadays, physical meetings are maybe limited. Uh, and even with mm-hmm. your team, right? Even with your team now. So how, how big is Sovereign capital now in, in Indonesia? Like how big is the team right now?
1: indonesia that's like half a dozen guys so we continue right. to be lean we we want to lead by example we want yeah. to tell our ceos that you know we are not the tower investors that believe in like just keep on expanding expanding for the sake of expanding expanding exactly. for the sake of spending exactly and so uh we feel that the only way that we can bring that message uh close to all our ceos is to uh, do it by example yeah and so right. at software we uh, it doesn't mean that we, we don't hire. It just simply means that before we hire somebody, we always think like, okay, why do we need the guy again? Mm. You know, can we do multitasking? Is this going to uh, expand our uh, our... Uh, knowledge base or is it going to make us stronger as a team you know all those type of things so we try to do it but uh, you know short answer is that we have about like half a dozen uh, people working for us in right now
0: and nowadays with meetings and stuff like that maybe internal meetings but for sure also external meetings with you know potential investment uh, opportunities is that all through Zoom right now or like how do you do it
1: Uh, definitely in the beginning by Zoom you know that is the easiest simplest way uh, I think that uh, you know, uh, doing virtual uh, podcasts like this, virtual meetings, this is going to be uh, part of the, nor- the normal of the next generation, right? Yeah. And so if they can't do it, that gives me a big, huge question, about what have you been doing in the last one year? Exactly. You know, like this is supposed to be something simple. But when it becomes something interesting to us, um, physical meeting is still needed. We are still a yeah. social being. I want to see you eye to eye. I want to yeah. understand why you think, what you know, why do you do what you do? You know, and the only way to do it is to have interaction. So yeah. you just have to use the protocol, you know, like in my company, um, you know, every week we do both the antigen and the antibody uh, testing. It's rapid. And if anyone, I mean, like knock on wood, you know, this has yeah. been a year now, uh, we have zero uh, casualty, you know, but yeah. If one of us actually is founded to be reactive, then that person got to go do the full PCR in the hospital. Yeah. And if it turns out it's also to be positive, then the whole team, everybody within yeah. that contact tracing period, everybody yeah. got to do PCR. So it's the cost of doing business. But yeah. I think that you cannot do just 100% virtual. We still yeah. have to do it. But then if you're still you know, just talking to us for friendly, do the presentation by Zoom. You know?
0: yeah. We yeah. will listen to you. Yes. So, so, so the current uh, ecosystem or the current world we live in right now, it makes things a bit more efficient. Is that, that, would you agree with that? For sure, right?
1: Oh yeah, for sure. But, but but the
0: final stage, the final stage, when we talk about term sheets or we talk about, you know, is it really getting a hot lead? Then you want, then you would engage in a physical meeting. Um, I would love to know, right? Since you, because I always like to hear the entrepreneur's perspective and actually now you're still entrepreneuring. It's just uh you're not selling soda or, or frozen pizzas it's now it's now managing cash right what has been the big difference for you in that sense you know not not trading something not trading a physical good because you know you've done let's say in the uni days uh, from soda to frozen pizza and then you went into more creative um, jewelry jewelry business and then uh, now managing funds like what's what's been a what's been a big difference in in doing that, because now you're writing checks of you know like um, what's what's a big difference when you talk about entrepreneuring in that sense is it is it all the same or what is your what's your thought on that?
1: Um, I, I think that the element of being an entrepreneur, so you, being part of the startup, that's what uh, gets me kicking every single day. You know, like um, you know solving problems, uh, knowing that uh, there's going to be another guy, a new player coming in. Those are the things that gets me excited. But I think that the difference between you know, 22 years ago and today, I think that, you know, um, a lot of people have been saying it, but this is like the simplest truth about doing business mm-hmm. is that everything begins and falls with the leaders. You know, so uh, the biggest chunk of the work that I do uh, with my CEOs and uh, with people that are around me is uh, working on the leadership. You yeah. know, so because the leadership, you know, just as I was telling you the story in the beginning. You know, should it be just me by myself and maybe a bunch of Indonesian friends stopping sovereign capital in Indonesia, we would have failed miserably because I didn't understand anything about uh, uh, private equity, about, uh, you know, venture capital, Mm -hmm. whereas Luke uh, and Henry they are people that actually understand it a lot. I mean, I give you a most stupid example. This is like one of the most embarrassing moments in my life as an investor. You know, we sit on the table, we start to talk, 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 and then looks start to quote, like using this term and say like, well, we can use a CN. And in my head, it's like, you know, I got a kid at that time. The only CN I know at that uh, specific time of my life is cartoon network. So I was a keep on thinking, like, what, what what does the culture networks has anything to do? <laughs> we won't be discussing right now. Yeah. And so that is that is one of the silliest examples and yes, the uh, and yes, the most revealing uh, condition of any organization, again whether you are a PC or whether you are an entrepreneur, this everything begins and falls with the leaders. Yeah. And with all these my partners, if Luke was supposed to just bring all his American Friends and culture to Indonesia, and even if they live in this country, it's gonna take them a long time to be where we are today Mm. because they know nothing about Indonesia. So the combo that we have, almost like a left-hand, right-hand situation as a boxer, is like you know, like um, I understand Indonesia context, I understand our culture. uh, Why bread story is sexy, you know. Whereas for Americans, like what your wedding is like, a thousand guys coming to your wedding, it's like. That's our assistant. This is yeah. true story. Yeah. Our assistant at that time, her wedding was attended by almost 1,500 people. And that blew the mind of my partners it's because they are all Americans. They are yeah, like, what? Is Dita a celebrity or something? Like it yeah. doesn't click in the a, in a, in a American mindset yeah. because normally they have this private, you know, like small uh, wedding, right? And so those type of things. So everything begins and falls That's number one. Then mm-hmm. number two, we got to be almost like, a, like a, a, you know, a, a Nazi, if you may, for mm-hmm. customer satisfaction. Yeah, It's all about understanding the customer journey. It's also about creating a model that actually work for the specific group of market that we want to penetrate. Mm-hmm. And then number three, uh, things that I think that have been really different in the last two decades is we talk a lot about employees' growth. We will say like, look, as I was telling you, I say like, uh, you know, there's a specific CEO that is... Um, working with me a lot and you know every time I see him I said hey how's your love life I didn't say how's your social life how's your, yeah, yeah, yeah. How's your love life yeah. and he's always saying like he said "Like, Dave you're the only investor I have that every time you see me the first sentence begins with how is your love life and, he's, mm-hmm. and one day he shoot me and he said, like tell me why and I say look because you're so young you're still in your 20s and mm-hmm. if you come to work at 5 o'clock in the morning and leave the office at two o'clock in the morning, sleeping only three, four hours a day. Mm-hmm. This is Indonesia. And you are sending the signal to all the body in the company. And you say, that if the boss come at five, I'm going to come at all right, six o'clock, right? If the, he leaves at two o'clock, I'm going to leave at one o'clock. Mm-hmm. And you have zero social life, mm-hmm. which means that I'm raising a generation of young people that doesn't have a social life, mm-hmm. that doesn't know how to connect with each other. without You knowing. maybe now suddenly you're 30 and 40. And then suddenly you say like, I don't have boyfriend, girlfriend. Mm. You know, marriage is no longer a part of it. And mm. I think that we become a, uh, we bring a boomerang effect, if you may, to, uh, to Indonesia. Maybe not financially or economically, but as a, as a community, as a country, it becomes weak because we don't have the family. We don't have Values. the institution of marriage inside yeah. the community. So those are the topics things like that. So we talk about in political. We don't only really talk about them financially, but we also want to talk about them growing as a person. You know, spiritually, mm. um, mentally, emotionally, mm. you know, all those kind of things. So, these three things, I think, are the things that make it different. Back then, it was more about, like, you know, how do we create our first million dollars? Then, exactly. how do we create our next million dollars? And how do we create our next million dollars? Yeah. Now, like, the things that I think of as an entrepreneur or as also as an investor.
0: Yeah, I love that, man. So, it's a much more holistic approach of, of doing business in general, right? I mean, it's not only about the IRR. Uh, referring back to the cn the cn was a convertible note right oh, yes <laughs> okay okay, okay. <laughs> then we're, we're talking about the same uh, like, i was also referring th- talking thinking about cartoon network by the way but um but that's a really good one man i think that uh, that way of uh, let's say holistic approach type of investing is, is i think also not a general rule i think I, a lot of the investors would just say you know what uh, at the end of the day i put money in your company and i want to 10x the money right how do, you, how, do you, how do you still balance that, right? Because bottom line, your LPs, the people that, that that commit their money into your fund, they would say, okay, after five years or after 10 years, whatever the investment horizon is, I want to have a multiple of the money that I put in. I want to have a return. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I understand what you're saying. Where, you, know, you as investors look at entrepreneurs, look at the deal also from a holistic perspective, which I think is amazing and very, very value-driven. But at the end of the day, good values, amazing. But at the end of the day, are the LPs also, do they also have that mindset? You know what I mean? Because they would say, okay, you know what? I commit to your fund, I don't know, $5 million. And then there's uh, 10 of those people that, that say that it's still $5 million. Or, or are these LPs then also, quote-unquote, patient with their money? Or are they also not so much IRR or return-driven? Like, how do you, how do you mm-hmm. manage those different agendas from the LP versus you as an investor and the entrepreneur that you're investing in
1: uh, we've been in this business for what nine years now you know in Indonesia uh, we have one company that uh, quote- unquote you know we, we have to uh, you know wind it down and just close down the business only mm-hmm. one in nine years you know? yeah. so I hope that that gives um, uh, you know it's not a bragging rights, but it's but it's to show uh, yeah. you and to people that are listening to this is that we are really invested. We mm. do not sacrifice, um, you know, IRR and ROI and you mm. know growth for the sake of our values. Yeah. You know, so I think that is a common thread uh, for our LPs and also us as the GP and also for our team and our CEOs. I mean, uh, we talk. Kevin Minteraga' right story is now part of uh, Tokopedia. Yeah. Uh, we talk about uh, Eddie Sulistyo. You know, Locket now is uh, part of Gojek, you know, and not only they are part of the unicorns uh, community in Indonesia, but they are also the leading uh, people, if you may, that, that like really shaking uh, the organization, you know, shaking yeah. the, the way people are doing business, not just for their respective organizations, but also for the industry, itself. The ecosystem, you know, yeah. how uh, competitors, the ecosystem are now behaving are yeah. uh, directly impacted by the way they make the decisions. Yeah. So I'm talking about, you know, uh, real people, real entrepreneurs that really know how to make money, really know how to build a company. When you do business, at least when I talk to CEOs, I always say like, dude, you can just do everything. You can just say like, this guy, I want that guy, I want that guy, I want all oh, market, you can. not You got to focus on which market do you want to penetrate? Do your beachhead head strategy. And then continues to serve it until you have a big chunk of the market, right? Mm-hmm. And the same way that we do it, I think in the early, uh, early stage of our in, uh, LPs, you know, we got a bunch of people that just truly the common thread again is to win. But then the second part of it is that we they agree with our value. You know, so have we been offered money where they believe this, especially right now, you know, um, you know again, you know, not trying to uh, you know, brag or anything like that, but right now we are doing quite okay. And because we're doing above average, we're doing okay. There are people that want to put their money in our place, yeah. but the values is not the same because they might tell you that, Hey, you know what? Those values are awesome, Dave, but let's put it in a closet. Let's make a ton of money. Mm. So that is the worst type of LP that we can get. Yeah. Just like if you're doing business, because that's the worst customer that you can get. They can give you a ton of money. But they don't buy into your yeah. philosophy, to your solutions or whatever it may be. So we don't believe in that. And so we have to be disciplined. We have to be talking to each other and say that, you know, that's a lot of zeros stuff there. Yeah? That's a lot of money. But you know what? We believe in what we believe. We believe that, as I was saying about the, 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 the values of having family and also building a successful company, that is a value that is important for us. You know, uh, as partners, again, we lead by example. You know we all as partners, we have our sacred day where we say that this is the day we date our spouse. So mm-hmm. on that period of day and specific hour, we just don't interrupt uh, our partner because yeah. we say that that's the reason why I'm your partner. We don't take the day off or the hour off at the same day, everybody takes the same day, right? So every different place. So we respect that and we have that boundaries and we say like that's the reason why I'm your partner, I got your back. And the I same way when I'm dating my wife, you know, other people is covering my back, so we don't just say no to certain potential LP that way. But we also lead it by example, and we believe in what we believe. In mm. nine years, I'm sure uh, it's not an overstatement if right? I say that we've been through a certain type of crisis, mm. you know. But it works. It works. And all I wanted to do, uh, Andrew, is to tell uh, Indonesians, friends, to tell uh, people that are currently you know, maybe thinking and maybe even struggling in this particular subject, what I'm saying is that I just want to be an alternate option to an everyday CC. You know, that we are different, Mm. we are still successful, we are still doing great things, but not at the cost of the things that, kalau Indonesia, we say, you know, I don't want you to banting your tulang. I don't want you to banting your wife, banting your husband, banting your kids, banting your... Belief system, but mm. you don't need to do it. Let's mm. do something differently. Now, the only thing that I think uh, need to be noted for a lot of the business in Indonesia, if you choose to do that and you don't have money backed by, uh, you know, uh, venture capital like us or other people, then what it means is that it might be a longer journey. But it's like you driving from Jakarta to Surabaya, yeah. right? It's eight hundred kilometers. Some people can drive you know, average 100 kilometers per hour, 10 hours later, you're already in Surabaya. In mm. hours later, sorry, you're already in Surabaya. And some people get there in 10 hours. Yeah. Some people get there in six hours. Yeah. It's just a difference about how fast you can get there, but you will get there. Now, my question is that how many years do you plan to live as a businessman or a businesswoman? Just for five years? Mm. Or it is for 50 years? Mm. Now, if it's for 50 years, the difference of that 10%, 20%, in the big way of looking at things, you are actually doing the right thing. And, yeah. and you know, like, so anyway, so a lot of things can be said about this, but I'm going to stop there. But, you know, we just want to be an alternate uh, option, if you may, uh, for our colleagues and for our communities and mm-hmm. saying that, hey, that is also actually a working way. Nine years l- later today, we can actually say that we are an alternate option. You know, I don't I don't want to say that we are, the way and everybody got to do it our way, my way or highway, no. I'm just saying that we want to be an alternate option so that uh, CEOs and entrepreneurs have a different option when they go through this journey of being an entrepreneur in Indonesia.
0: I love that because it, it also refers back to leading or quote unquote trailblazing a new path. And it reminds me a bit about a discussion I had with a friend of mine who is, uh, who is a PE professional a private equity professional and we were discussing China versus Indonesia. So I said okay the tech industry in Indonesia for sure is going to follow China within 5 to 10 years. Like Indonesia is a bit behind but we're going to reach that same level of, of craziness or same level of valuations and value creation. So I'm not talking specifically about valuation but really value creation job creation like and, and specifically even those those companies there that they, they create new millionaires, new billionaires, right? There's literally a lot of value creation. And we, we kind of like discussed the topic of education. I think what you said as well on your, actually what you are doing now, you're educating also entrepreneurs, but through those entrepreneurs, you're educating the ecosystem as well. And and I, I love that element. What are your thoughts about the challenge the ecosystem has to achieve the level of Greatness or bigness, um, like the China tech tech market. Like, do you think that Indonesia has that potential, um, or are there any you know hurdles that we need to jump over?
1: Absolutely. I think I think uh, the pandemic also uh, find you know like a way to raise a lot of like new uh, people that are you know like uh, sharing their thoughts you know through uh clubhouse and you know mm. IG live or whatever it may be. And I think that. Uh, that's that 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 was what was lacking in 2010 when I first came. Uh, it was so every time somebody here to an idea, they said, "Hey, yes, I want to build this company, and yes, I want to do it." I got a lot of like uh, nodding. That is like, uh, who is this crazy guy? You know, like the mindset is just not there yet. Mm. You know, at that time we don't have unicorns yet. Yeah, you know, so um it it, it wasn't. I mean, like Nadim Gojek was 2010. Oh my God, it's like still it's still, it's, it, it, you know, maybe it was already an idea, but, but it was yeah. nothing. It was yeah. nothing, right? Mm. And, so, and so I think like at that time, it was so difficult. Um, and just in any uh, environment, you know, like what we have is that we're going to have uh, early adapters and then but also we're going to have the laggards, right? And so I think in our country, uh, that is also going to be the same. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, educating the market, uh, helping uh, a society to raise, you know, just be sure that we are focusing only on those are early adapters that are kind of like, you know, people that already do it. And then there will be a group of people, right? where they say that, you know, like after they see the result, then people are doing it, which is, I think, where we are right now. So in our own environment, in our own capacity, I think it's important for us to continue to do give back. You know, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, one, one of my uh, inspiration uh, is my grandfather. You know, so I was maybe about 15, 16 years old. And I remember that um, I don't know what conversation we were doing, but it ended up to this particular story where he was in Taiwan, and when he got off from uh, the plane, he saw an old friend. So uh, long story short, this old friend is carrying this big, huge rock. He's going to a temple uh, to to do his uh, worship. You know, so my grandfather said, like, let me send you uh, to the to the temple. So after uh, some persuasion, he got in. The rock cannot be put in the uh, baggage cabin, he's like holding it in his lap like this, right? And so uh, after a while, during that drive, he wanted to uh, know what what is the story, why you go from Jakarta all the way to Taiwan to go to a temple to put a rock to go worship. The long story short, and that uh, becomes a source of inspiration for me, because he found out, this is all accidentally, that when he opened the covering of the rock, he says that I'm praying for the health and the wealth of Moktar Ali. And so my grandfather was was shocked and said like, why, "Why? would you do that?" And he said that because when I was uh, in a very difficult situation, when all my friends left me, you are the only guy that still paid attention at me and actually helped me to get up from my difficult situation. Wow. That story became an inspiration for me for a very very long time mm. until today. So mm. I want to be a successful investor. I want to be a successful coach. I want to be a successful businessman because I know that with our success, we can do a lot of great things, especially for us in Indonesia. You know, so for example, like that, when I say this story, there's somebody like you that say like, oh my God, that now become my inspiration too. And then there's another guy say like, oh my God, you guys are so softy, you know, and all those of things. So they you see, then you got to, in your own environment, in your own capacity, there are people that would be buying in, and then yeah. people that does, doesn't buy in, and there are mm-hmm. people that are waiting for, um, you know, an example, a, a model, if you may. You know, so I, 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 would say that you know, in Indonesia, the market is still so big. You know, uh, focus on people that believe in you. Whether that yeah. be hiring your key staff, uh, hiring your executors, you know, working with your suppliers. You know, uh, working with your uh, 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 financial backers. You know, like whoever it is that you need to work with, work with doing that. So. You know, remember my story when I when I met Luke for the first time. I did not need to educate him. And was I educating him? Absolutely. Was he educating me? Absolutely. Mm. But we are we we are already in the same spirit, if you may. We're already in the same room. We already know this is what we want to do. So stay there and educate in that sense. Otherwise, I think that especially if you're like me, you're married, you got kids, mm. then my concern is that if you are being in an overly educating field, um, you, you will not make money. It's overly blue for Indonesia. Mm. You know, Indonesia doesn't have red ocean. You think about like Apple and Microsoft, for example. Now, the government in the US, they have to make a regulation about what you can and cannot do in advertising mm. because now that is a real red ocean. And for that reason, an American run-up book about blue ocean strategy. Now, question, does that exist in Indonesia? Mm. Okay, so maybe we have a dark, pink ocean, but we don't have a red ocean. Mm. So if you go overly blue, then you go into a kind of like a full nonprofit environment where you're doing overly educating. And by doing that, the company might not be making as much revenue as needed or profit as, as needed. And because of that, then it becomes, I think, a bit unhealthy. And for some of you, as you're listening to this, maybe you are called, maybe you have this sense of purpose that you 100% want to be in the blue side where you are doing 100% education. That's awesome. Mm. That's awesome. Mm. But also understand that when you talk to a VC, especially if you talk to a VC, and the VC is saying that, oh, you're too early for us and saying things like, oh, keep us posted. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We'd love to hear you more. Mm. Don't get offended. Mm. Don't get offended. Don't say like, Mm. oh, you don't believe in my dream? It's not about believing in the dream. It's about Mm. understanding in which part of the education journey that we need to do in our market. You Mm. know, so I want to raise idealists in Indonesia. But if you do not have the financial strength to sustain your idealism, you got to move to your acceptable environment. You cannot keep on staying in your ideal state, right? You Mm. just got to move there. And so it is, I think, between that space where you have an idealism, and you understand what is the acceptable at the moment. I think that is a sweet spot. For example, for somebody like me to be a, your coach, or to be uh, to have a, a you know sovereign capital as an example, to be a potential suitor for the financial sector. Mm. But if you're going over blue, we are not interested. If you're going overly uh, dark pink, if you may, that is also obviously not a, not not the way PC is designed to support those type of uh, organizations. You know, so yeah. that's that's how you continue to be part of the uh, education story, if you may. Continue to educate the people around us, but not at the price of, you know, kind of like wrecking your own, uh, I don't know, marriage, uh, personal yeah, yeah, yeah. life, or whatever it may be.
0: Yeah, but I think maybe that also has to do with the fact that people in the ecosystem, entrepreneurs in the ecosystem, are maybe fed with certain media which makes them think that fundraising is normal uh double digit rounds is normal uh, building a unicorn within two years is normal which kind of creates an expectation with the entrepreneurs that oh, yeah, this this is what we should be doing right like we should be fundraising we should be fundraising that's kind of like the goal almost so i think what you're doing is is really amazing because um yeah it goes deeper and i think that this is its element of education you know which which needs to happen in the in the ecosystem as well i think also the the tension between short term short term gains and long term goals you know that type of uh thing is always a challenge i think especially in new new markets like this right uh what do you think about uh so we're talking about vc space right there's still uh, not a handful but there's not a lot of vcs compared to the us right like globally we discussed this briefly before, but globally speaking, you know, 250 plus billion dollars invested in 2018, 19 of that amount, 130 billion was only in the US and the rest was scattered all over the world. How do you see the, the space that you're in right now as a VC? How do you see that develop in the coming, coming years? Because I hear a lot of stories about foreign money, either eyeballing Southeast Asia or Indonesia specifically. And, you know, more money is coming into the region. What are your thoughts about how the VC space is going to develop in the coming five years?
1: This is absolutely a very long conversation, but uh, I'm going to try it, to put it in bullet points. Number yeah. one, uh, we are primed for success. Mm. Um, you know, I don't want to go as far to talk about Southeast Asia. I'm, uh, my interest and my heart uh, is uh, Indonesia. Yeah. You know, And Indonesia is primed for success. Think about it this way. Indonesia th- today is about 270, 280 million people. And America is about 320 million people. Mm. Uh, US is a 24 trillion dollar GDP uh, economy, and we are a 1.1 trillion dollar yeah. uh, GDP economy. Mm. You know, so we are about 20 times smaller than America. So my mm. question is this: You know, 10 years from now, are you seriously thinking that we are still gonna play at one trillion dollar? Yeah. You know, I think in the next 10 years, it, it's not a question of like, can we. Uh, grow beyond one trillion. It's a question of like how large can it be intended? You know is it going to be one to two or is it gonna be one to ten? That mm. is really the question. Now, if, now, now, now let's be more realistic if you say that I'm in the next ten years, I want to be part of the story of this next trillion dollar economy, right? Because our industry is not going to be a trillion dollar, right? So maybe we say that we're gonna part of that one trillion dollar economy. So if you just focus on that one dollars economy, that is how much opportunity you are building. Mm. And it is for that particular reason why the foreign investments, there are 6,000 pieces in the world. Andrew. I don't know if you know that, 6,000 pieces in the world. Take them here. Out of that 6,000, 5,000 is in America. Yeah. 3,500 of them in San mm. You know, And so that's how big the, the money is over there. But we all know that America is a saturated market. You know, will there be new development? There's SpaceX, and that's uh, recently recorded, I think it's like number two or number three, most innovative com- uh, companies mm. in the world, you know, and all those things. Okay, yeah, great. But it is still not going to absorb that hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars. So America, China, or any other countries, European countries, they are going to actually come to find a different market. Indonesia is sexy that way. China is already seeing a massive growth. Indonesia has not yet seen that exponential growth. Now, it is true that if we just wait and see, nothing is going to happen. Mm. So, you and I and every all of you guys that are listening to me talking right now, we're going to do something about it. Yeah. An excellent. Um, you know, executor of our respective organization, be number one, number two in our respective industry, all of mm. those things are true. You know, but I think Indonesia is prime for success. So, that's the reason why money is going to keep on coming, uh, coming in. You know, so, uh, that is the the, the most uh, uh, basic, in my opinion, a way of saying, like, why should you be positive? Why should you be optimistic with our Indonesian economy and how we want to go? I think, that, I think that's it. That's, mm-hmm. the, that's the number one reason. I hope this is not, for some of you, maybe it's very simple. Sometimes simple is what is needed for us to keep on being positive and doing things.
0: That is so true. That is so true. So specifically on VCs launching, you, you also see uh, a trend in like more VCs entering either either locally or, or entering from abroad.
1: Oh, definitely. I think, I think there is a lot of people in 2012 or so, you know, when I first met with Luke and Henry, you know, like uh, it's about um, a, a foreign entity, if you may, that is thinking like, okay, we want to be Indonesia. Who is this local partner that we need to get? Yeah. I think there will be a, a little bit of those type of things. But I think we also need to understand that America is a few hundred years, I mean, like, uh, as a country, yeah? Uh, whereas for us, we have been only 80 years old, um, not even 80, um, you know, and then uh, a big chunk of those 80 years was under uh, the the old system, old regime, yeah. if you may, under uh, President Suharto. Yeah. You know, so now we are only, you know, what do you think, you know, 20 years or so, 15 years or so of like kind of like a modern economy in Indonesia. Mm. You know, so we are still teenagers. We're still young. You know, we are still young. So, uh, but with the usefulness of our country, what it actually means is that we still have the old style GM of Ford in America a long, 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 long time ago, mm. which means that it's the one Ford uh, organ- uh, family that is doing a lot of things. So in Indonesia, we actually have those people. Mm. You know, some of the founders have, Pass away, but the children and the grandchildren and maybe some of the, the great grandkids—they're all still within the same organization. We still have the conglomeracy in Indonesia, yeah. And because of that, the concept of family office or family office investment or corporate-related investment in Indonesia would also be the trending in Indonesia. You think about like uh, one of the companies that I admired a lot is Intel. You know, mm-hmm. in America, Intel got Intel capital, but they also got Intel labs, they got Intel this, Intel that. Mm-hmm. You know, so it is an organization that's so large and they're doing multiple different types of investment with different type of pieces within the same corporate. And I think that is what also going to be a trend looks like in Indonesia. So be watch out for things like that. And I think that for young people, um, you know, I was once uh, 18, 20 years old too. I feel like, you know, I can do it all on my own. But we have a rare opportunity in our country in indonesia that we have all these big huge corporate big huge family that if you are just have the concept of that i am standing on the shoulder of a giant Mm. that one shoulder of the giant is enough to propel us to go from zero to a hundred you don't even have zero to one Mm. or maybe you need to be already in one and then you propel yourself to 100 there's a lot of people that you know for what is worth they, they, they have a lot of resources and they just really want to do good, you yeah. know. So be mindful about that, and not just thinking about like you know uh, the foreign, if you may, like foreign entity investment company because it's so cool, you know, to be part of that. Sometimes going a little bit more traditional money, that's gonna go a very long mile.
0: That's uh, that's that's amazing. I get really um. Just by listening to you, I get really excited about the, about the ecosystem. And, uh, but, but, I, but I also feel, I feel it. like Everyone I talk to, I always feel like, oh, there's a lot of like, uh, eyeballs and interest in the region. So I think that is amazing for the ecosystem. Uh, hey, David, to come to a close, um, imagine yourself uh, someday in the future. I Google your name and uh, I Google Souverain, um, but uh, I can't find anything. And the only thing I can find is um, three life lessons. And these life lessons would represent you what would those life lessons be?
1: I think that number one, you want to be excellent. Um, Excellence should be your middle name. You know, like if people meet you, if you're a banker, you better be a great banker. Mm. Uh, if you are a tech developer, I want you to be uh, uh, be excellent over there. You know, be number one, be number two, be be really good at it. And if you're still mm. number 84, that's fine. Mm. Just keep on fighting, being excellent. I think that's the first thing. Mean, it goes a very long way You know, if you look at your life only for two years and then you fail here and there, uh, it's easy to give up. Mm. But I have become an entrepreneur and an investor coach now for 22 years now. Mm. You know, so keep on being excellent in the place where you are. Uh, Mm. You know, one day you'll become not just somebody that's competent, but you will also become the expert and eventually become the master chief if you may of whatever it is that you're doing. And at that time, Uh, the world will not deny you because it is really just that great, Mm. you know. Uh, Number two, I think, is uh, integrity. You know, integrity means that, you know, uh, not trying to balance, you know, like uh, balancing between doing good and doing bad, you know, uh, or doing wrong, you know, uh, not balancing between my marriage life and my business life, Mm. but really thinking about the word integrity means integrate, integrate Mm. your life in all aspects, you know, so I think that is something that we have to be better as, uh, you know, as a community. And number three is like you know purpose. You know, um, my newest uh, startup is called Sakata Indonesia for because I believe that uh, we gotta all have the same vision that you know building this country. Because if Indonesia prosper, we go from one trillion to two trillion, for example. Mm. Then that prosperity of the new trillion dollar economy will be the prosperity of this nation. Yeah, will be the prosperity of us in our ecosystem. It will be also be the prosperity of your own business mm. because the big ship is growing at six, 10% or whatever it may be, guess what? The number of your stores and your yeah. revenue and your profit will all going to be jacked up by itself. You know, so I think those are the three things that I would like to uh, leave it um, as like my life
0: lesson. That's awesome, man. Being excellent, excellence is, is everything. Everything Excellence is everything. And it starts with that. And like you said, even if you're number 84, just do your best, try to be 83, and then, you know, gradually go on. Excellence is really something that I, I really love as well. Integrity, integrity. Amazing, great value uh, without integrity. Where are we, right? And especially, I think, when you talk about Indonesia being actually a teenage country, you know, coming from a, from a, a, a leadership, which, you know, where there's now a new economy, let's say, during the last 20 years, that, that's really a good value to, to drive through for entrepreneurs. And, of course, purpose. Purpose is your big why. Why, why are you doing what you're doing? Great values. Thank you so much as a, as a final as a final few seconds that we have. Uh, I want to acknowledge you as well. I want to thank you number one for uh, for this this candid discussion. I really appreciate it, but i want to acknowledge you uh, as well for the fact that you are you know I, I like to see it as the salt and light within the industry in that sense, and at least you want to be in catalyst of a new way of thinking, a new way of value driving uh, uh entrepreneuring and investing and uh, and I respect you for that uh, that is amazing. that's what we need to do. That's what we all need to do, actually, in our own little marketplace that we're active. Thank you so much, uh, David. Really appreciate it. And I hope to see you soon, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah. hope it's useful. I'll see you soon, uh, Dave. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. 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 Thank you so much for listening to the Masters of Cashflow podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please share this with a friend that you think would be inspired or could learn something from this. Also, make sure to subscribe to the Manage of Cashflow podcast over on Apple and Spotify. And I'd really appreciate it if you can leave a rating and review on Apple and let me know what your biggest takeaway is of this episode. I want to leave you with this quote of Walt Disney. The way to get started is to quit talking and begin doing. A great reminder that there's power in doing, there's power in action, and that is my wish for you today. Thanks again for spending time with me today, and I wish you the best, with everything that you are pursuing.